following lecture was produced by the Gnostic Academy of Chicago, a nonprofit organization, and is one of many available for podcast, download, and transcription. You can visit chicagonosis.org to find courses, articles, scriptures, commentaries, and other valuable resources that address a wide variety of spiritual subjects, interests, and needs. Through the generous support of listeners like you, the Gnostic Academy of Chicago has produced online courses, lectures, and articles freely available worldwide. If you have benefited from this knowledge, help humanity through making a tax-deductible donation at chicagonosis.org. If you are interested in attending the Gnostic Academy of Chicago in person, you may view our online class schedule and freely register at meetup.com slash chicagonosis. The Chicagoland Gnostic Academy provides humanity with the necessary means for transforming suffering and acquiring personal knowledge of the divine. With this purpose in mind, we now begin the lecture. May all beings be happy. Any person who's been applying these techniques faces an inevitable problem. Better said, there are many impediments to consciously astral projecting. And it is the purpose of this lecture to explain what those are. But more importantly, how to apply effective remedies. There are two primary obstacles. The first is a lack of effective methods. And the second is our own mind. The first problem is easily fixable. Although there are some problems. Anyone who explores this topic, searching on the internet, discovers a multitude of teachings. There are many astral projection techniques, theories, and instructions. And so it is easy to get lost. by the interpretations and the novelties of diverse knowledge. It is incumbent upon the student to discriminate the real from the illusory. But for beginners, this is not easy. It is not easy to discern what is true and what is not. But there is a way to know what is effective and what is not. It is the lived experiences of the teachers. People have to live what they teach to a more or less degree. 
It's important that when we study from a school that we can verify or determine that whatever is being taught is experiential and has been experienced. Unfortunately, there is a tendency in spiritual schools to teach what what does not know. And in fact, many people make a business of the divine. They take teachings that have a tremendous potential and merely leave it in the intellect. Personally, I've known groups who teach about astral projection, even when the instructors never had that experience. It's really sad. And it unveils the necessity to experiment and to test, to know. My purpose in teaching these lectures is because I've had many experiences about the techniques. And so I can teach from my own faith that this is real. However, even though any missionary can give you knowledge, can offer promises, can provide any type of wisdom, the reality is that it is necessary for the student to know what is being taught. The only way to know that is to practice daily for many years until the results you long for become a reality. But of course, there is a major problem. The mind. The mind is an obstacle. Even if the techniques are genuine, it is our own conditioned states which prevent the actualization of conscious astral projections. The tendency of the mind to be distracted is the fault, is the ultimate impediment. Anyone who has been following this series of lectures, perhaps studying the last lecture on mantras, has experienced that the mind wanders. You may be lying in bed, relaxed, and yet your mind is all over the place. Thoughts appearing and disappearing, cycling, churning flighting from or fleeing from one idea to another in a chain of associative thinking never on the goal. These mantras and techniques work but only in accordance with the discipline of our mind. We can give an example. A carpenter has tools, hammers, saws, rulers, 
whatever it is necessary to do the job. But a carpenter cannot do anything, cannot build anything, if he doesn't know how to apply the tools. You have to be concentrated in what you're doing. At least in the beginning of being in a business to really effectively apply these techniques, you have to be aware of what you're doing. You also have to know how the techniques work, the purpose of the tools. You can't take these items and create anything real if you don't have a knowledge of their effectiveness and purpose. For example, an astronomer cannot study the stars with a microscope. Neither a biologist can study a microbe with a telescope. These techniques have a purpose. And the way that they work is if you are fully immersed with your whole being into them and that your mind is not thinking of something else. I know in the analogy it may not be perfect because someone who's very experienced at carpentry may be thinking of something else and doing one thing. But the reality is that people who do a really good job are fully focused. Their whole being is there. They don't think of other things. They're not distracted. So if we lack the ability to serenely observe ourselves, to be present, to know what we're doing, then we can't enter the astral dimension with awareness. Salvon Vior gave a quote in the Aquarian message, which emphasizes these points. Before anything else, comprehend that in order to consciously travel in the astral body, the process of thinking is an obstacle. We have given many clues in order to consciously travel with the astral body. So thousands of students have learned to travel in their astral body. However, we have seen and practiced that those people who cannot quiet the mind not even for an instant, who are accustomed to hopping from school to school, from lodge to lodge, always inquiring, always preoccupied, are not able to consciously astral travel. It's the tendency of the mind to be superficial, to move from thing to thing. I do want to mention that from this quote, <clears throat> that Salman Vior made a very profound point. He's not talking about going from school to school and not learning about objective spirituality. He was a student of many teachers, many religions, many groups. But he didn't approach each school or each religion with a superficial attitude. He had his own discipline of mind, his own character development, his meditation, 
So he was able to learn from all these diverse teachers and schools about how to perform this work. But most people, when they go from idea to idea, do so without a ground, without a foundation. And it is this foundation that is at the heart of spiritual success. In this next slide, we see the Venerable Master Litalantes, the wife of Samael and Vior. She is a great master. I say this not because I've read about it, but I met her. The first time I met Samael and Vior was with this initiate in the astral plane in an Aztec temple. She is a very awake master. She has knowledge of reincarnation from experience. She is a judge of the law of destiny in this solar system. She is one of the 42 judges of the hierarchs of karma. She helped Samal rise. She is a very severe but profoundly loving master. And despite all her achievements, what is most remarkable is that she was illiterate. She couldn't read. She's very simple. But unfortunately, in our Western culture, we think of illiteracy as stupidity. And this is wrong. There are many people who are not literate, who have profound memory, imagination, understanding, but also intelligence. Real intelligence is spiritual. The ability to know how to navigate life with selflessness and love. Sadly, in our modern era, the intellect predominates. The intellect has been used to create the atom bomb. That is not real intelligence. That is stupidity. So why mention this master? It's because in astral projection, it is the heart that matters. The intellect is secondary. People who are very intellectual, who have a head like a library, but no sentiment, no heart, they are polarized in a very negative way. The intellect divorced of the spirit is detrimental because the intellect is used for cunning, for sophistry, for articulate sarcasm, for cruel words, for manipulation and deceit. If we want to really be successful with astral projection, it's important to develop the heart. Superior emotion 
the qualities of the being. Salman Vior stated the following in The Perfect Matrimony in a chapter called The Flying Serpent, which corroborates these points. In practice, we have been able to prove that people who are very intellectual, full of bookish culture, the library bookworms, do not manage to go out at will in the astral body. On the other hand, people who are very simple, humble peasants, poor servants of families, can do so perfectly. This has made us think a great deal about the matter, and we have carefully investigated the problem. The fact is that travel in the astral body is not something intellectual. Rather, astral travel is more aligned to the sentiment and to superior emotion. These qualities are related to the heart and not to the brain. The intellectual polarizes himself and the brain in an exaggerated fashion and abandons, in fact, the world of the heart. The result of this lack of equilibrium is the loss of the psychic powers of the soul. We need balance, like in this image. We have Anubis judging the mind and the heart of the defunct. And above are the Egyptian gods of judgment, the lords of karma, who are ascertaining the moral caliber of the student, of the initiate. This feather represents the mind. And obviously the heart represents superior emotion. Sadly, in this era, most people do not know what superior emotion is. But we've had rare glimpses. Perhaps a mother to her child who sacrifices herself despite her faults and imperfections to be kind, to be pure, to be compassionate. Comprehension, understanding, the building of communities. These qualities, unfortunately for most people, are very rare. We don't genuinely identify ourselves with the best, primarily because we are afflicted with ego, by pride, anger, lust, resentment, fear. When the heart is heavy with emotion of a negative type of the ego, the scales tip. And therefore, we have an imbalance. Any imbalance between the mind and the heart results in failure. If we really want to be effective with conscious astral projections, the mind needs to be in balance. And the heart needs to be calm, present, still. Anytime we exercise a faculty, we strengthen it. For most of us in the West, we have the mind that is very filled with knowledge. And our hearts tend to be very depleted and deficient. 
Wherever we direct attention, we expend creative energy. Therefore, whatever actions we perform strengthens the machine that is facilitating it. If you use your intellect more than your other faculties, it becomes more, in a sense, experienced, developed, like a muscle. However, the intellect must be balanced. You would find it strange to go to the gym and see a person who only works out their right bicep at the expense of all other muscles. It'd be absurd. But in our Western culture, which is so intellectual, requiring intellectual responses to life, to stimuli, we tend to have the mind very fat, ignoring other qualities of our being. And because of this, there's a problem. In our Western world, we need the intellect. We need it. But it should not predetermine everything we do. The connection between the mind and the heart has to be established because there is a fine connection and thread which is our own being, our own essence. By this, we are not stating because of the faults of the mind that we should be illiterate or should not have the intellect. Most of us who are in North America or in Western countries, this is where we begin because of our education, our personality, our background, our experience. Now it's more important that we learn to reunite the mind with the heart. Samuel Vior stated in the perfect matrimony in the flying serpent. Unfortunately, a faculty cannot be acquired without the loss of another. Whosoever wants to develop the intellect does it at the expense of the psychic faculties. The problem is serious because we can in no way approve ignorance and illiteracy. It is logical that an intellectual culture is necessary. Ignorance leads to very serious errors. So by this statement, it might seem that, well, if he argues against illiteracy, what about his wife, Lita Lantes, who was illiterate? For her, she was already awakened before she was born. She had a type of consciousness or has a type of consciousness that is very distinct, very alert, comprehensive, intuitive, awake. She was already awake before she was born. Therefore, she had a faculty in her early years that allowed her to navigate existence. But for most of us, we are asleep. We lack knowledge 
of our past lives, of our previous states, of who we really are. We begin where we're at. And because we are hyper-intellectual in the West, we have to develop ourselves kind of like this master, Helena Petrovna Blavatsky. We included this slide because she is a perfect example of both a scholar and a master. Anyone who reads her Isis Unveiled or The Secret Doctrine can immediately ascertain her facility with knowledge. But that is not all where she left it off at. She had an illuminated intellect And she knew how to use the mind in balance. There's a quote by Samal and Vior from Igneous Rose in his chapter, Esoteric Discipline of Mind, which explains what that type of illuminated intellect is. We must learn to think with the heart and to feel with the head. This is something you have to experience. Understanding is a distinct quality from rationalization. The mind that thinks, that theorizes, that debates, that argues, that churns, that stews, is not comprehension. Comprehension is a light. Sparks in you when you know in your very core the meaning of something. And therefore, you don't have to think. You don't rationalize. The real solar mind, the divine intuitive mind, receives knowledge and wisdom in a receptive way. The consciousness is hyperactive, but the mind is still. This is how images of the internal world enter the psyche. When the mind of the lake, of the intellect, is in perfect equanimity. When those surfaces are clean and still, then wisdom emerges. But to do that, we have to become like children, says Jesus in the Gospels. I'll emphasize another quote, again from Samal and Vior, about what we must do if we want to be experts at astral projection. Now the interesting thing is to know how to reconquer the lost psychic faculties. A man with a brilliant, illuminated intellect and with all his psychic faculties in full activity is really in fact and by his own right a true illuminated one. The occultist needs to establish perfect equilibrium between mind and heart. When the mind has become excessively frozen in the brain, leaving at will in the astral body becomes completely impossible because there is imbalance. It is urgent then that the intellectual occultists reestablish the equilibrium between mind and heart. Fortunately, there is a technique to reestablish the lost equilibrium 
This technique is inner meditation. We're going to talk about some practices you can use to develop all this. Dream yoga becomes a lifestyle. Some techniques are Guidelines you can follow, we're going to elaborate upon now. So that by learning techniques like meditation and introspection, we become more intuitive. Samalan Vyora states in the secret doctrine of Anahuac, those candidates who sincerely long for a mystical direct experience must unquestionably begin with the dream yoga discipline. The Gnostic must be very demanding with himself and to learn to create favorable conditions to remember and understand all those inner experiences that always occur during sleep. Let's talk about this discipline. Here are the preliminaries. In this image we see in the top left, a woman whose face is transposed beyond her own, looking at herself. We chose this because it is a perfect illustration of self-reflection. When you go to bed at night, and even throughout the day, how often do we see ourselves? How often do we actually look at what we're thinking and what we're feeling? our state of mind, the quality of our perception, how we see, how we react, how we behave. Self-observation is essential, but many people get stuck in this. It is easy to consider this an intellectual exercise Thinking, I'm now looking at my surroundings and at myself. I see anger in me or I see pride. I see fear. The mind can label, but it cannot understand. Unless it is in a passive state. The consciousness must be hyperactive and the mind must be calm equilibrated. But before you go to bed, especially, examine your state. Don't go to bed angry. Don't go to bed with negative emotion. It's better if, like on the bottom right of this image, we meditate. It is better that we really comprehend why we behave the way we do. Why we suffer. Look at it. If you had a problem with a family member, with an ordeal with someone, look at the emotion. 
Look at your thoughts. Look at yourself. And don't struggle with it or suffocate it or oppress it. But look, see it. This is psychological judo. Real spiritual martial arts. When you see something in yourself that you may not like, look at it and look at your reactions. Look at your mind. The mind struggles. The soul can disarm our own psychological opponents, which is our own defects. And as you're doing this, we learn to develop superior emotion. When you recognize that you are not your thoughts, your desires, your hatreds, you can begin to see that you are a spark of the divine, the divine mother kundalini, the being. In moments of stillness, we access our true nature. And when you taste that, it'll give you joy. It gives us happiness because we realize we are not the mind. We are not our pain, our fears, our anxieties, our insecurities. We're something more and that we are a spark of her. This develops prayer. When you connect with that, you ask, help me, my God, to not be what I am, but to be something more. To be united with you. In the process of introspection, We can develop our lifestyle. Exercise is important. If you live a sedentary life, if you don't work out or get some type of exercise, consider it. Because if you go to bed with tension, pain in your body, inflexibility, it's going to make it very difficult to practice astral projection. You won't be able to relax. It's very simple. You may find an exercise regimen that is conducive to your schedule and your needs. Some people do martial arts. Some people exercise in the gym. Some people run. Some people walk. Find out what works best for you. Also, it's good to work daily with our sexual energy. We see this woman on the top left performing pranayama. Pranayama, especially for single people, is essential. Transmute 
every day. Conserve your energies. That is the power that is going to awaken you and give you insights. Also, listen to good music. We often recommend classical, especially, primarily because the works of initiates like Beethoven, Mozart, Chopin, Liszt, Tchaikovsky originated from the being. This kind of music awakens the heart, superior emotion. It inflames the soul. I've had experiences about Beethoven's music, especially his Ninth Symphony. And what was very startling for me was that when I had this samadhi, I later listened to his symphony and I immediately recognized what I experienced. It scared me. I didn't know how someone could articulate perfectly within music every sentiment and moment of that vision. And therefore, music can inspire our spirituality and help us to work. Opera, especially. We've given a course which is ongoing on the secret teachings of opera. Turandot, Puccini, many works. They educate the mind, but also the heart. So if you're looking for a practice that will equilibrate your psyche, and also will teach you Kabbalah, study opera. Our diet should be light at night. It's not good to eat heavy foods before we go to bed. You might find it difficult to practice. Too much food in the stomach at night can cause indigestion and then nightmares. Especially red meat in the evenings. If your diet is very heavy with that, consider diminishing it or limiting it. Your last meal of the day should not encumber your body. Should it help you feel balanced. Because when your stomach is filled with food before you sleep, you activate, with especially red meat, the chakras of the abdomen, which are infernal, can awaken you down in the infernal planes. Very common. This is well documented in science or the study of dreams, indigestion causing nightmares. So eat lightly at the end of the day. Some things to consider too is that our home and environment should be conducive for our practice. Our bed should have, like in this image on the top left, good support for our body our neck, our spine, our bed should be comfortable. It should not be so rigid or hard that you can't sleep. If you can't fall asleep, you can't practice. Or if you can't maintain your awareness when going to bed, then consider adjusting your environment. Beds with 
springs that are creaking and noisy are very discomforting. You should make your home a temple. On the top right, we see a bedroom or a bed with the three primary colors. Red, blue, and yellow. These three colors represent the three primary forces. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Having these colors in your bedroom can help you awaken in the sense that if you are conscious of your environment and what the colors represent, they help to create beauty in your home. It's very difficult to relax if our home is a mess or if it's in disarray. We should take care of our temple. Our environment or our nest should be comfortable, inspiring, uplifting. And the three primary colors are beautiful for that because they represent the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, your bed doesn't have to look like this, but you may find ways to decorate your home. For example, some people use Tibetan prayer flags, which has these colors. You can uh, adjust, your, adjust this principle to your needs. Every night, keep a journal nearby, a dream journal. So that first thing when you wake up, you write down what you experienced. Remembering your dreams and documenting them is essential. We'll give a whole lecture on how to remember dreams in the future. But the important thing is that you have some notepad or some way to document what you dreamed about before you woke up. There's something about the act of writing which helps us to remember things. Many people have documented that they remember things more when they write about what they experience. Same thing with dream journaling. So you may find that if you get up in the morning and you're rushing to work, it could be easy to forget your dreams. But if you wrote them down after performing some preliminary retrospection exercises to recall what you saw, you might forget. So journal it. Write it down. Your journal doesn't have to be super detailed. However much time you have, whatever you can commit to paper, do it. Make sure that you include enough information that it'll help you recall things. And also, we should incense our home daily. Perfume it. Whatever incense or smells help you to relax, help you feel at peace. Use that. You can even incense your pillows with your favorite perfumes. There's something about aromatherapy and smells that help elevate our mood. And if your mood is positive, you're going to enter the dream yoga practice with more enthusiasm. Also, cleaning your home of astral larvae with sage or other instances we've mentioned before can help promote cleanliness, psychologically speaking. And this goes a long way to our practice. 
you may find that astral projection can be very difficult, where there's some other remedies you can use to help cultivate your spiritual life. You can lie down in the posture of the lion. This is the Buddha who has his legs, his left leg over his right, the knees bent, his right hand holding up his head, and the left hand on the left hip. This is a very effective posture for astral projection. And it's because you may find it may help you to relax, but also be attentive. And that's the key thing with any exercise. So you're able to relax fully, but also stay awake long enough that you remember what you're doing. And so finally, by hitting that balance, you knock on the door to the internal worlds. Some people, this posture may be difficult, and that's fine. You can do chuck mool, you can do other exercises, you can lie on your back. The key thing is, you have to be relaxed but attentive. You have to be aware of what you're doing at all times. But you will hit a transition point where as you're entering sleep, you start to perhaps experience sounds and visions and colors and images. And almost in a sense, it comes upon you without even being aware of it. It just happens. And when you recognize it, that's the moment that you can Get out of your body, get out of your bed, and do a test. Put your finger, as we explained previously, to see it stretch, or jump in the air to see if you float. But the postures are helpful. You can try this, the lion's posture. You can also lie down in your bed with your head facing the north. Northern magnetism helps with astral projection. The planet is an energetic and even psychological and spiritual body. It channels forces and energies throughout the globe that affect our psychology. Magnetism especially influences the astral body. And the northern pole helps to orient and align our state of mind with the higher worlds. I know we've mentioned in previous lectures that certain spiritual authors associate the north with the spiritual worlds, like the mountains or the cold. So if you lay down with your head towards the north and fall asleep, that magnetism can help you make astral projections more frequent because the astral body is a fluidic vehicle. It is material in the sense that it has its organs and capacities. But at the same time, it is organized and dominated by different laws. It's more energetic and subtle. We also have the god Morpheus, who is a part of our being. Anybody who's seen the Matrix films knows about Morpheus. And the analogy of how we need to awaken from illusion. So Morpheus is actually the god of dreams in Greek mythology. And he represents 
part of our being. There is a part of our being that helps us to awaken within the astral plane. You can concentrate on Morpheus and pray to your inner God to help you enter the astral dimension consciously. Morpheus is a part of us. Some people often think of divinity as singular, but the truth is that there are many parts of the being which we are learning to work with and unite. So all the parts of our inner consciousness have their roles. And Morpheus is that part of our being that helps us to awaken within dreams. So you can pray to Morpheus. You don't need formula. Simply pray, help me get out of my body. Whatever comes naturally to us. You can also take advantage of the lunar influence. People often report more vivid dreams and astral projections during the full moon. And this is because the astral body is lunar. Relates to the lunar mechanical influences of nature. There is both a positive and a negative aspect to the moon. We know that women are naturally influenced by the lunar cycles, such as with menstruation, the tides of the earth are regulated by the moon. But in a negative sense, we find that there are more crimes on a full moon. You even get the term lunatic from this word, from luna. But because this is a mechanical influence that is a part of nature, but also a part of us, we can take advantage of it. Take something mechanical, and when there is a crescent or waxing moon or a full moon, we can dedicate more intensely to our astral projection exercises because the lunar influence will help us, help us to awaken. So the moon has both a material and a psychological and spiritual influence on our mind and heart. So we should use it to our advantage. It's fortuitous also that we are now in the astrological sign of Gemini as of today, May 21st to June 20th. Gemini is the zodiacal constellation associated with the brothers, the twins. and is intimately related to the sign of Mercury, the planet Mercury. There are masters in the internal planes associated with the planet Mercury. Salman Vier calls them the lords of the mind. They are masters in the internal planes who can teach you how to astral project. And in the sign of Gemini, they work more intensely because that influence of that zodiac is entering our planet and is accelerating certain spiritual influences. And if you become conscious of them and work with them, you can really intensify your dream yoga experiences. In Gemini, the forces of Mercury are very powerful. Mercury is related with the mind. 
the mental body. But these lords of Mercury, these lords of wisdom, can teach us to astral project. So whatever technique we are using, we can also invoke and call upon these initiates. There are many beings throughout the universe, not merely from our earth. And now in public discourse, we now have more openness about extraterrestrials, other humanities, where the question is at least being raised instead of shunned. But we go a bit further because if you awaken in the internal worlds, you can get help from other humanities. And personally, I've received help from other humanities, not physically, but internally, where certain beings have come, humanoid, look just like us, to help me get out of my body. And the Lords of Mercury can do that for you. So you can intensify your practice during this time in the sign of Gemini. There are also some other things we can cultivate in our daily life that can help us to promote our practice. Salman Vera mentions the following ethical prerequisites for astral travel in his book, Aztec Christic Magic, where he talks about how ethical discipline is really the key to our well-being. He isn't talking about morality, whether what, what other country thinks is good or bad. What is good in one time is bad in another, and vice versa. We're talking so, about something more universal, having to do primarily with the cleanliness of the body, the lungs especially, our sexual energy. If you faithfully practice each one of the exercises that we have taught in order for at least six consecutive days, you will soon project yourself within your astral body. This is if you are a respectable person, that you neither abuse of liquors nor tobacco, that you do not propagate gossip, that you do not enjoy making fun of your neighbors, and that you love and respect every living being. Obviously, it's difficult. People who may smoke or drink liquor, but we know even conventionally that these elements toxify the psychology. And these elements are also very difficult for our dream yoga practice. If the body is unhealthy, if the mind is polluted, if we are sick from consuming these elements, it's going to be very difficult to practice. On a more subtle note, it's important not to engage with criticism of our neighbor, as difficult as that may be, because negative emotions spread and cause pain. A negative emotion is another obstacle to, our, to dream yoga. The important thing is to have compassion for others. Obviously, this is the ideal. And we should strive to it. Here are some tips you can use to astral project. Before you actually practice, you can rehearse the practice for 10 minutes beforehand. So at least to just get into the form and figure of the practice, you can lie down, imagine or 
pronounce the mantra that you're going to use as a kind of test run so that you get comfortable with the process of actually lying down and doing the exercise. Because if you're practicing, you may find it difficult if at the beginning you're unfamiliar with how to do it. So if you rehearse it, it can make you more familiar. We should also not fear being unable to go to sleep. Some people don't practice wholeheartedly because they feel like they need to be alert in a rigid sense. Perhaps it's excitement or fear or agitation or the idea that if I practice astral projection, I won't get any rest. And therefore there's the obstacle of not wanting to practice. The important thing is don't fear the practice. Don't fear that you're not going to get sleep. But give yourself some space. You can practice for 10, 20 minutes, 30 minutes if you want, if you're ambitious, maybe more. But dedicate some time to yourself to figure out how long you want to engage in the exercise. We could do 10 minutes vocally and 10 minutes whispered and then fall asleep. We also have to slowly train the body to adopt the posture. Some postures like chakmul or the lion posture can be difficult for some people. So take some time to practice the postures, get used to them. And then after a time of actually practicing them, you can always roll over on your side or on your back, whatever is most comfortable for you to fall asleep. But do take some time to get familiar with them. Also deepen your relaxation. These techniques only work if you're relaxed. Attentive, but relaxed. Does it have to be tight and rigid? Being alert doesn't necessarily mean having five cups of coffee and being hyper, but instead it's about being calm. Real alert awareness is relaxed. Don't force the process of astral projection. Let it happen. The more you try to force it or restrict it, you can jump out of the experience. You can lose it. Over time, you can gradually increase the practice length from 10 minutes. Maybe you start with five at first, vocal, then five, five minutes whispered, and then you go to sleep. You may find that you get more into it or more relaxed, and then you can basically extend the practice. These are conscious efforts, not mental exertion. As we hinted at before, that consciousness has to work. The mind has to be passive. The personality has to be calm. You will know the difference through experience, through how you apply your perception. Also practice consistently and with dedication because if we practice one night but not the other, you lose momentum. And then, it become, then sleep becomes another recurrence of your former habits. We just go back to bed and enter oblivion for eight hours and then we don't remember anything. Also enjoy the exercise and the results of your practice. It's like working out. People don't stick, out, stick with a workout regimen if they don't like what they're doing. But if you find something that you enjoy doing and you enjoy like this exercise, you're going to be more enthusiastic to practice it. So something to keep in mind. In this last slide for tips, we also find we should maintain equanimity and dispassion. The more excited you are, the more agitated, the more fearful, the more anxious we are, the more attached to results, 
the less likely we will actually consciously astral project. Concentration and visualization are the key to focus on one thing and to visualize what we're doing. Like with the Pharaoh exercise we talked about previously. You imagine the pyramids, you see them with as much vividness and intensity and color as you can, and you see yourself going there. Or better said, rather than imagining that you're imagining it, you actually imagine the sands, the wind, the heat, the environment. It's important that we maintain our concentration and visualization exercises so we have more depth and strength through our exercise or work. Also adopt a prayerful attitude. When we humbly ask for help, we pray. Show me, Divine Mother, the internal worlds. Help me to change. Help me to experience this for myself. And then lastly, take a comfortable position when you're ready to sleep. There's another exercise you can do if you want to increase your likelihood for astral projection. We call it intermittent sleep. You can practice getting up in the early hours of the morning or late at night. You sleep for a few hours, set an alarm, you get up middle of the night, and then you perform a practice. The Quran is a perfect example of a scriptural source for this discipline. Where in Islam they mention about supererogatory prayers, which are additional exercises or prayers that one performs in the middle of the night or in the early hours of dawn. As it says in the Surah 17, verses 78 to 79, perform the prayer at the declining of the sun to the darkening of the night and the recitation at dawn. Truly the recitation at dawn is ever witnessed. And keep vigil in prayer for a part of the night as a supererogatory act for thee. It may be that thy Lord will resurrect thee in a praiseworthy station. You may find that if you wake up in the early hours and you, go, and you practice and go back to bed, you suddenly enter the astral plane with a lot of intensity, a lot of vividness and color and depth. It's because you take the time to awaken yourself, even physically, to be more alert and aware. Until finally you take that alert state and go back into the dream world. Very useful. It's a form of spiritual resurrection because you're literally coming back from the world of the dead and then entering it again. But of course, there are some caveats to this. You don't necessarily want to perform intermittent sleep or practices when maybe you have work during the week. You have a busy schedule. It's not good to do it all the time especially if you find that you need rest. But instead, you can basically perform it maybe once, once in a while, or whatever's conducive for your, your schedule. You can also go to bed earlier. That's also important too, to make sure that you make up for whatever sleep you've lost, but also you do maintain a schedule that's gonna be healthy for you. We're gonna explain in these last few slides, a couple of practices with elemental therapy, which is nature's royal art. There are certain plants that can help us to astral project, especially if we struggle with achieving it. In synthesis, elemental therapy is a term coined by Samal and Vior about working with the souls of plants. 
Every plant in nature has a soul. It's animated by life. And every plant has a spiritual purpose. So we can work with the intelligences of nature to teach us how to astral project, help us go out of our body. I'll only mention two. We have a plant called the angel's trumpet. Salman Vera talks about this in Esoteric Medicine and Practical Magic in his chapter on Magic of the Angel's Trumpet. So typically what you do is you concentrate and visualize the soul of the plant. You perform a mantra that activates the plant itself and helps you to facil uh, facilitate inner experiences. One thing to be conscious of with the Angel's Trumpet is that it is highly toxic. So there is that caveat. It's important not to consume the plant. What we're working with is the elemental, not the physical substance of the plant itself. Salman Vyar, when he mentioned this practice, he mentioned how in his past lives, in certain temples of the White Lodges, he would take the juice of some of the plant and dab it very lightly on the forehead of the initiates when they would fall asleep so that in combination with mantra and prayer and commanding the elemental, they would go out. But personally, since I am not a master, nor am I under the jurisdiction of one in my physical life or don't have that kind of guidance in my personal existence, I don't recommend doing it for oneself with the juices. Personally, I don't know the accurate dosing, even though he does describe dabbing it. But that's something very easy to abuse. And in fact, there are many indigenous shamanic cultures and traditions that have abused this plant. So my personal recommendation for this type of exercise is that you work with the plant's soul. Don't consume or touch the leaves or the juices itself because it can be harmful. But the elemental of the soul of this plant is very powerful. Here's what actually Samuel Enviar stated about this in his book. Esoteric Medicine and Practical Magic. Every angel's trumpet tree has its corresponding elemental, which has to be utilized by those who wish to consciously depart in their astral body. With a branch that I took from the same tree, I would trace a very wide circle on the ground around it. I would then crush the tree's flowers and dab the pressed juice from it over the head of the disciple. Then, while lying on his bed, the disciple would fall asleep. I then commanded the elemental to take that disciple out of his physical body. These commands were accompanied by the mantra of this tree, which is Kam, and must be pronounced by prolonging the sound of the last two letters. You must imperiously command the elemental like this. When I call you, you will always assist me. I need you to take me out of my astral body every time that I command you to do so. Afterward, the disciple will pierce a finger of his hand with a needle, and with a knife he will make an incision on the tree where he will deposit his blood. In this way, the pact of the genie of this angel's trumpet tree will be formalized. Write with blood, thus you will learn that blood is spirit. Friedrich Nietzsche. Blood, blood is a very special fluid. Goethe. So it's like a little prick. And we know that ancient blood rituals were performed even by Jesus in the Last Supper, where he took a drop of his blood and deposited it in the chalice of the Last Supper which was shared amongst his disciples or the apostles. 
that united the astral bodies of all these initiates with Christ. So, I mean, blood is a very potent substance which carries the life of our humanity and our spirituality. And with this, you take a little bit connected with an incision into the tree and it creates a bond where the elemental will vow to help you. Here is what Salonvir also had to say about this topic. Then the disciple will cut some hair from his head and will hang it from the flowers of the tree and will place them within a little bag or hang it around his neck like a talisman. Hence, from that moment on, the disciple has under his service this humble elemental who will always assist to his call. When the disciple wants to consciously depart in his astral body, he goes to sleep on his bed and pronounces the mantra of this tree. His mind needs to be concentrated on this elemental genie, calling him mentally and begging him to take him out of the, his astral body. In the state of transition between vigil and dreaming, the elemental, the angel's trumpet tree, will take him out of his physical body and will take him consciously to, to the places he longed for. Anytime the disciple can visit this tree, he must do so in order to water it, bless it, and to cut its flowers, which he will utilize whenever he wishes to do so. These flowers must be crushed with a stone, then their juice is extracted and applied over the head in order to depart in the astral body. It is beneficial to warn that the application of this juice is performed at the time when the disciple will lay down to his bed or to bed when he is going to sleep. So again, he mentions a dab, but personally my recommendation is it's better to work with the soul of the plant because one can abuse the using too much, obviously, and that's a problem. So the important thing with elemental magic is that we're creating a bond with the elemental, with the soul. And that we are basically communing with the spirit of the plant so that it can aid us and guide us. There's another plant which is also very controversial, which is talked about in a lot of shamanic traditions. It's the peyote. But there are a lot of problems with peyote even though authentic peyote can produce conscious astral projections. I will name a list of some issues, although it's not exhaustive. To find authentic peyote is very difficult. It's found in only certain regions of Latin America. Not only that, but one has to be educated in how to dose it which is learned by certain indigenous masters within Latin America. But then the problem becomes, how does one discriminate who is authentic and who is not? Who has maintained the purity of any lineage, which unfortunately in these times is very rare. Personally, when I've met certain indigenous masters, it's been in the internal planes. That way, one is not easily fooled. If you're very alert and conscientious, The elemental of the peyote also only works with meditation. One has to be a practical meditator. Not merely learning how to calm the mind or concentrate for a few minutes, but actually meditate to experience internal truths. This is based upon chastity. The elemental of the peyote only obeys chaste people, not those who waste their sexual energy. It also requires sanctity, eliminating a lot of ego, because the elementals do not respect people who don't have any type of ethics. 
Also, when the authentic traditions of peyote were utilized, they were done so in sacred spaces and temples. And even so, most of that has been in the internal worlds. Some people may be surprised how is it that one can work with peyote in the internal worlds. It's because the astral plane is material. It's in a plane of spiritual matter and energy. This elemental magic is internal. While there is a physical component, the real work of that magic happens within the spiritual planes. There's also the issue of knowing when to use peyote when it's appropriate, and that's based on divine will in very rare cases. But also knowing what divinity is commanding one to do is obviously difficult for us as beginners. Most people don't discern reality from illusion or desire, from attachment. There's also the issue of the frequency of use, how frequently to do it, when it's allowed, how it's allowed. Because often this can lead to abuse and has. And also, it's illegal in many countries. Let me relate some things that some of you have stated about this topic. In Mexico, the Aztecs used the buttons of peyote to astrally depart. Such a cactus is very abundant in Chihuahua. Unfortunately, the peyote that is known in the Valley of Mexico does not serve for this purpose. Whosoever wants to obtain the true peyote has to search for it among the native Tarahumaras in the mountain range of Chihuahua. Moreover, they have to learn how to dose it. Those native Indians are the only ones who can teach how to administer that cactus. Many people have wasted their time with the peyote in the Valley of Mexico. The people who have obtained this cactus in the north of Mexico did not achieve anything because they do not know how to use it. This is the difficult problem of peyote. That is from Aztec Magic. He also states in a lecture called Questions About the Path, peyote is not found in the countries of South America or Central America. It is only found in Mexico and with difficulty. To kind of corroborate on some of the earlier points, he continues in this lecture, questions about the path. The elemental, the peyote, cooperates, yes, with meditation. It does not create any kind of tendencies. Yet the elemental is very demanding. It demands chastity. In no way will peyote help, for instance, the indecent, lustful ones. It has rules. Master Huracocha talked about peyote. He narrated how the master Rasinchi inside the temple of Chapultepec used peyote in order to cause an astral projection. This is the only recommended plant with the condition of not abusing of it, since this is only for the KH, cosmic humans. A student who wanted to use it for the third time after receiving several instructions was called to order by the Lords of Karma and was prohibited from continuing with it. To be more precise, he was abusing it. Therefore, peyote's elemental is useful, but one needs to know the proper procedures and to not ever abuse it and do not ever abuse it. The secret is to know how to meditate. The elemental cooperates with the one who knows how to meditate. The elemental really helps, but since it is illegal in some countries, of course, we cannot in any way recommend it. So we mentioned this in this lecture because a lot of people will like to rely on certain substances or drugs to have astral projections because they feel blocked. Some people who are very impeded by their own mind want to rely on other things to help them astral project. And so they may turn to peyote or other substances to experience that. But we want to emphasize that if one were to use authentic peyote, it would be under very strict stipulations. Like there are certain 
difficulties as I listed, which are just some of many problems. So this is why Samalanvir mentioned in Asakristic Magic, we do not recommend the use of this marvelous cactus. Indeed, what we recommend is practice, much practice, and soon you will act and travel within the astral body. I know one missionary who was helped by the elements of the peyote, but it was a, performed in a ritual in the astral plane. So as you kind of saw from that list, there's a certain discipline needed to be able to work with certain elementals. Something to consider. But this person I know was very awakened in that state as a result of receiving help internally. But for most beginners, obviously, we have attachments and weaknesses to consider. So what's recommended better is uh, much practice with these exercises so that we can achieve the results that we want. We can also develop our concentration and visualization of the heart. Concentration and visualization is essential for astral projections. If you find that it's very difficult to astral project, you can work on your concentration and your imagination. Concentrate and visualize. You can take an image of the heart, maybe in minute detail, depending on your interests and needs, and see it. Concentrate on your heartbeat. Meditate, enter a drowsy state, Visualize how the heart functions in you. Be aware of its presence and the life it gives. See it, feel it, imagine it. By working with the two, concentrating on this image or in any image of the heart, you can start to access knowledge that is internal where you see actually how your heart functions, how it's like the sun of your own psychological and physical solar system. So the two are really important. Without these Principles combined together, it's impossible to really enter the astral state with lucidity and ease. We'll conclude with a practice. Throughout the day, develop self-observation. Each day for at least 10 to 20 minutes, develop meditative concentration to visualization of your heart. Fall asleep concentrating upon and visualizing your heart. And lastly, continue with your spiritual diary. If you have any questions, feel free to ask. In the Yellow Book, Samuel Vior speaks about how an obstacle to meditation is a lack of the drowsy, sleepy state. Can that also be an obstacle for astral projection? Absolutely. As we were saying in the lecture, if you can't relax when you're practicing, when you're meditating, you can't really access anything profound or deep. It's because relaxation is the threshold that leads to the internal worlds. It's when you progressively detach yourself from your physical body. So oftentimes when you're meditating and you're entering a drowsy state, you can start to perceive different images and sounds and colors and images, experiences which are not physical, but they're within the screen of your imagination. You can't access that if you're agitated or you're in your body, if you're identified with your body, if you're tense. The important thing is to really relax deeply 
Without that, you can't meditate. Actually, meditation without drajanas is harmful. It's because you're very alert, but you're not really going into your internal worlds. There's something about drajanas that, and relaxation that suspends the mind. And that's actually one of the limbs of Ashtanga Yoga, Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, where he talks about suspension of the senses as the beginning of yoga, where you let everything calm and relax and become still, whereby like a tortoise, you kind of retract your attention inward and no longer identify with the body. So you need to relax. Without that, you can't access anything authentic or real. Uh, yeah, question here. Um, forgive me, I forget the name of the posture, but when we're laying on our right side with our left leg on our right and our kind of the palm of our right hand in our head, sure. Um, would we, or sorry, is it, do you spend about 10, 20 minutes hoping to get a meditative state in that posture and then relax on, could you relax on your back afterwards or would you try to fall asleep in that position? Good question. Yeah, basically what you do is rehearse it for a while like get in the habit of actually trying to relax in that posture and train your body. So in the beginning, you may find that you can't maintain it for more than 10 minutes. So therefore, it's good if you're not able to relax fully yet, at least get in the practice and habit of doing it so that with time, you'll find that you'll start to relax more in that position. So the more you do it, the more you train yourself and the easier it becomes. So until finally, like you could actually get drowsy and relax while doing it. Um, but yeah, it takes, it takes time. Time and consistency. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And on that posture, is it, for the lion's posture, is it, can you do it on the left side as well? Or is it only the right? It's mentioned on the right side. And he mentions then that when you finally feel like you're ready to go to bed, you just, you can turn to another side, relax, and then fall asleep. But he does specify the right side, primarily because the right side relates to the lion, right? The solar forces. And the Lion of Judah is the power of the sun. S-U-N, but also S-O-N. Um, so I recently overheard somebody saying that uh, they were uh, taking this new heart medication and it caused them to have nightmares. Uh, so what are some uh, obstacles that medications can present? And if it's something you have to take, what, is there something you can do to kind of overcome that? Sure. Yeah, it's a really good question. Personally, I, I know students who have suffered a mental illness. Therefore, they have to be medicated or for their heart or some kind of condition where it creates a certain impediments while also helping to heal the body. If a person's physical and mental health requires medication, then obviously that takes precedent. But medications such as perhaps that are causing nightmares or other types of experiences, obviously that's an obstacle. Or for some taking perhaps medication related to depression or mental illness. Those drugs are very powerful and can make a person very drowsy or perhaps clouded of mind is commonly the testimony people give. And that does create difficulties in practice. But it doesn't mean that because there are difficulties that one can't overcome them. It can be difficult to have to take perhaps like heart medication that causes nightmares where that's one of the results of having to take it. Whoever's health is affected by not taking it, obviously that you got to weigh the pros and the cons. What is it, what's life going to be like without the medication? 
if you're going to die or if it's going to harm a person, then obviously they need to take it and have to deal with the consequences. There are ways to remedy nightmares. You can do runes. Runes are a great way to overcome negative emotion. I knew one missionary, his father also was a teacher of Gnosis. And while growing up, he would have nightmares quite frequently. And what his father would do for him was, as soon as he woke up from having a bad dream, they would stand up and do runes for like two, three hours. Got rid of the problem. That energy will help elevate the soul. It can counteract some of the negative influences or symptoms of any kind of drug. So yeah, there's obstacles, but it means that if there's the pro and the con, so to speak, the good and the bad, while it's an impediment, it's possible also to overcome it. Um, what role does the cerebral spinal fluid play in dreams and astral projection? And if there's inhibitions in that, can that prevent projection? Sure, good question. Basically, with the brain and the functioning of our nervous systems, there's a connection between astral projection and the body with the health of our nerves. Because when you're physically active, your astral body is integrated with your physical body and is basically operating within the human machine. It's good to have good health, good spine, healthy brain. But of course, in this day and age, there's you know difficulties, right? It's very rare to find someone who is really healthy and perfectly healthy in this era, especially in the West, given all our technology and our results of medicine and achievements. But still, a lot of people are ill, suffer many conditions. If your car is damaged, obviously, there's going to be an impediment to being able to drive around effectively. And there could be different problems with a car. The same with the physical body. The same with the heart, the emotional body, and also the mind, mental body. Internally, your mind, emotions, and physicality can be represented by a car. And if you have dreams about a car and how it's driving and functioning, it's a representation of many things. It could be a representation of, for example, your mental health or emotional health or physical health. And if you ever get experiences of that nature where you're being shown something about yourself and your health, it's good to consider the guidance of divinity showing that maybe we're being told, take care of your brain, your physicality, take care of your, your heart, take care of your mind. We can often get warnings in the internal worlds, especially in the very early morning hours of dawn, where we can get insights into what we need to focus on, because there, it's important to be healthy. But obviously, if we have an illness because of certain karma, it can be more difficult to do the work. But personally, I've known many people who have suffered some kind of injury or condition that they've had to contend with. And because they're so persistent in, in achieving the results that they wanted, they awaken. It's not easy. Not simple. Everyone's situation and karma is different. But it can be done. I have faith in that because I've seen many students and learned about people's 
hardships and certain challenges that are very difficult to hear even. But we have to do the best we can given our circumstances. If it means getting treated or taking care of one's livelihood or health, one has to do what they need to do. But it doesn't mean that one is going to fail. What matters is the consciousness, learning to operate in what it has. Because more important than necessarily the car itself is how you drive. So maybe there's certain restrictions on how you drive. But in the end, what matters more is that you take care of your needs or learn to drive ethically. Because there are a lot of people, actually, I mean, there are people who are very healthy and have maybe life handed to them on a golden platter in terms of their physicality. And yet they are terrible people. They don't appreciate what they have. And therefore, maybe in the future, they won't have that. So, this is a balance. Mind, body, and heart. But if you're conscious and you're serious, if someone has a condition that they're dealing with, it can be done. Two questions. Speaking on the importance of the drowsy state, once I start to see events and hear voices projecting, I tend to either lose consciousness or can't control what I am seeing or hearing. How do I control what I see? Don't try to control everything. Watch it. Desire wants to modify, to change, to control. When you start to have inner visions or experiences, the thing is not to grip them more tightly. The thing is to let it go and watch. Let it unfold of itself like a clock that is unwinding. Let the mechanism spring and fulfill its own objective. And just look at the results. One obstacle to astral projection is trying to control the process. It's very common to want to accelerate things or to run away from the experience. I remember when I was a young kid, one of my first astral projections scared, scared me. I was levitating above a bed, floating in the air with a lot of lucidity and intensity. And I called out to help me because I didn't know what this was. And I obviously, I woke up. I wanted to control the situation. I wanted to get out. I didn't want to be there. I was afraid of what I was witnessing in myself. Levitating above the bed. I mean, it was very real. More real than my physical life. Had I not tried to be controlling of the situation or had been afraid, I could have prolonged the experience and learned to navigate it effectively. The reality is that in order to be more dexterous with astral projection, to know how to do it more effectively, you actually have to relinquish a lot of control. Don't let your mind try to control things. In a sense, let it happen. Watch what happens. Let the images come. See them like you're watching a film. You're trying to learn what is objective and real here. 
And with practice, you'll sense you're starting to lift out of your body or you're in bed. Maybe the visions pass and you're suddenly, you see yourself in bed and you feel like you're about to transition, like you're going to step out of your body. When you recognize that moment, that's the moment that you have to act. But this is not a type of mental control, trying to control or modify the circumstances. It's, it's about acting when you need to. But discriminating when to do that is going to be difficult in the beginning. You'll learn it through time, through familiarity. So be patient. Another factor that might be at play there is that the consciousness is too dispersed and one lacks attentiveness. So you can also work with the practice that was discussed earlier in this course where in your waking state, you meditate on a candle or an object for a certain amount of time each day to strengthen the consciousness ability to focus its attention. Next question. A Gnostic instructor once advised me to pronounce the mantra Wu for calming the mind. How is that pronounced? It's like a exhalation of air, like a hurricane. So the breath sounds like this. It's an exhalation. Like you're almost trying to whistle, but you're exhaling the air, letting it out, followed by the U sound. So yes, that's also a very good mantra to calm the mind and can help to train your mind to get ready for astral projection. Any other questions? So I thank you all for coming. We'll continue uh, next month in person, but also we'll be broadcasting this as well. And thank you all for attending. To learn more about the knowledge covered in this lecture, we invite you to study the books available through Glorian Publishing or GnosticTeachings.org. You can also view free online courses, lectures, transcriptions, and articles available at ChicagoGnosis.org. All of this is made possible by the support of listeners like you. Have you benefited from this knowledge? Help others by making a tax-deductible donation at chicagognosis.org. We thank you for listening. We hope that these lectures aid you in developing your complete and divine potential. May all beings be happy. May all beings be joyful. May all beings be in peace.